Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Monday morning, the 8th of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The number of COVID-19 cases in meat plants is on the rise again with outbreaks last week in 34 out of the 56 factories in the country. Almost two-thirds of meat plants across the state have COVID cases in the last 28 days. People before Prophet TD, Paul Murphy, told the doll last week that some plants are affected worse than others. In the Larry Goodman-owned ABP Bandon plant, 70 out of 300 workers have tested positive for COVID. The question he put to the government was, why is this being allowed to happen? It's clear that the big beef barons are putting their wealth before their workers' health and the government is letting them away with it. SIP2 says one of the main issues is that there is no sick pay for most workers. This industry has a turnover in the billions every year in this country. Uh, Workers are on minimum wage. Uh, One in ten have sick pay, so 90% don't have sick pay. Uh, There's no pension. When these workers are put in the position of whether they go to work because they may have symptoms or not, it's the difference between putting food on the table and paying the rent. Greg Gannis of SIP2 there speaking to me on Friday's programme. The trade union wants a number of issues addressed in order to protect workers. Where there are clusters in meat plants, we must shut down such workplaces without loss of earnings to the workers. They must be deep cleaned. They must be sanitised. The workers need to be PCR tested. Uh, uh, the HSA needs to inspect the plant and then they reopen the workplace. We have seen situations throughout the last 12 months where in some cases up to a third of a workforce, so maybe 70 or 80 people out of 300 or less, uh, have contracted COVID. Those plants continue production. Now, if that doesn't border on exploitation, nothing does. Sipsu's Greg Ennis speaking to me on Friday. Now, the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnellogue, is on the line. And a very good morning to you, Minister, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Do you see the outbreaks in the meat plants to be as significant as Sipsu does? Uh, good morning, Michael, and good to join with you this morning. I think, obviously, there has been a challenge over the last year um, in, in in the meat sector, particularly because it's been uh, essential employment and regarded as essential work, and uh, uh, particularly over the last number of weeks, uh, given the very high infection rates since Christmas in, in the community, that has posed particular challenges as well. But 
I think it is really important to point out, Michael, that uh, there has been very, very comprehensive measures taken in all plants in relation to ensuring that uh, protocols are in place and in relation to ensuring that the appropriate personal protective equipment is in place as well. And also there's been very strong oversight of that. Um, we've seen 900 or 696 inspections on behalf of the, of the Health and Safety Authority, the vast majority of those being unannounced uh, taking place um, and, and to ensure that, that, that standards are, are, are at what they, they should be. And certainly that has proven to be the case. And you're satisfied that they are and that where there are significant outbreaks, uh, the factories are closing down, are they, Minister? Yeah, well, well, well also we, we've also had serial um, testing ongoing uh, in all of the meat plants um, of PCR testing. Mm. And that has shown uh, infection levels to be similar to what they are in the wider community. So uh, where there are outbreaks, the uh, HSE Public Health do move in and liaise with the company concerned. And like with any other workplace, uh, oversee the management of that uh, appropriately. And, but in 34 uh, out of 56 plants, two-thirds of the plants in uh, the country, it would seem significantly higher than uh, the rest of the population. Well, I, I think, I mean, if, if we've been watching, as we know from Christmas, in terms of the, the infection levels right across the country, um, there, there has been no parish or, or, or um, uh, townland or area or community that has been unaffected, and that mm. has uh, had significant impact in relation to meat factories as well, and certainly an outbreak would be regarded as having uh, more than more than two in a in a setting um, for any for in the previous fourteen mm. days, and, and that would be the criterion. For yeah, but some so. significant outbreaks, having said that, and if there are, are, are you satisfied that plants are closing, that they're being deplaned, uh, well, and that the steps that should be taken are being taken? I, I am satisfied that the steps that need to be taken are being taken, Michael, and, and that the uh, precautions and uh, controls and, and safety measures are in place and we're carrying out very strict oversight in terms of inspections to ensure that that's the case and certainly uh, coming from that. Uh, and are, are you discovering that people are coming to work sick? Uh, uh, well, the, the very strong uh, um, uh, approach by all companies is to ensure that it's clearly communicated to employees that if there's any doubt whatsoever that they should not. And, and obviously the government as well have put in mm. place um, the... the uh, the sickness payments so that anybody that has to take time off um, because they, they are uh, COVID or have COVID mm. are eligible for the COVID-enhanced illness benefit uh, immediately. But the issue so that, that was is raised by Paul Murphy in the Dáil last week was uh, that uh, there is no sick pay in the meat plants for 90% of the workers. And Greg Ennis of SIP2, as you heard there, is saying that is resulting in people coming to work who are sick. <laughs> Well, well, first of all, it's really important to point out that in terms of the COVID-enhanced illness benefit payment, that is there for anyone that is not able to go to work because of COVID. And, and that's really, really important. And the, the government have put that in place. The, the same um, employment requirements and law applies to meat plants as it does to any other part of the economy. Uh, and while uh, some in the meat uh, sector do have uh, sick pay, uh, certainly a, a majority don't. Okay. Um, and so you, 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 last, you, last, you, you don't uh, agree uh, with uh, the viewpoint of SIP2 in terms of the additional measures that need to be taken in, in terms of how sick pay should be put in place for these workers? Well, I think, well, the government have put in place for sick pay, first of all, uh, in relation to COVID, for the COVID-enhanced illness benefits, and that's really important to make sure that that's clear. That the, that the employers pay sick pay directly to the employees? So in, in relation to sick pay widely or more, more, more broadly, the legislation applies to meat factories as it does to anywhere else. And certainly my view would be that it would be preferable that all companies pay sick pay. Um, but, but the law, they have to, the situation is they have to comply with the law. Now, last November, the Tanisha did okay. put in place um, a statutory sick or a consultation in relation to a statutory sick pay scheme. 
um, for employees and employers right across the economy and a public consultation was held on that. So that is under con- um, consideration by the government um, uh, in terms of how, in terms of the, the economy and all businesses, not just in relation to meat plants. But in terms um, of the criticism would, would, of, of how this is being handled uh, by the plants uh, and uh, how the government is treating uh, the beef barons uh, uh, as uh, they've been described, uh, as far as you're concerned, uh, you will not be responding positively to the calls for different measures and for the calls for employers to pay sick pay directly to uh, employees. It'll continue uh, as is, in other words. Well, as I've said very clearly, the, the government are paying uh, COVID-enhanced illness benefit for anyone. But that's not what to, that's not what Greg Gannis so, said, said a moment no, ago. But that he, he, in relation to, in he rela- said that that's not enough, and that means that people have to choose between paying yeah. their rent uh, or, or going to work, and they end up going to work. No, but in, in relation to sick pay schemes in meat factories, as across the wider economy, the law is what applies there. Um, in the absence of mm. uh, where it's not COVID-related, um, and that is something that's been on, that is being considered by the Tanisha in relation to the potential for introducing a mandatory um, sick pay scheme right across the economy. Uh, and as I say, a public consultation has taken place in that, and consideration will be given to that. But importantly, in relation to the management of COVID, um, it's really important that that scheme is in place, that government scheme, and it's also what's really important. As well, Michael, is that the uh, protocols and safety precautions that are required are in place and that they're fully overseen. And of course, alongside that, in, in, the, in the, the food processing sector, unlike in other sectors, we also mm. have the serial testing um, carried out by the HSE to also as an additional measure. So I think there's been there's been very very um, strong and effective um, measures put in place by the government to try and ensure that every step that can be taken is being taken. And of course, the, the challenging situation here is... OK, that, but you accept uh, that there's a different opinion uh, and that you're rejecting that opinion. Well, I, I think what uh, Greg Ennis is saying and, and, and some other politicians is that there should be mandatory sick pay in meat factories as in other parts of the economy. Um, and that's something that uh, is, is a wider issue. And that the plan the should, has, but, but that the plan should be closed. If there's an outbreak, the plan should be closed down. And those who don't have COVID are, are sent home as well on full sick pay. And then the plant is fully sanitised, deep cleaned, and then people can come back to work safely. Well, I, I think where there's an outbreak, Michael, public health uh, do move in, um, and they take the measures that are necessary to keep the employees safe. Uh, and they have all powers available to them, including closing down a factory. Um, and we have seen that in a small number of instances. So um, they are very tightly managed, um, and uh, public health do oversee that, as with other, all other okay. aspects of the economy. And, and that's fair enough, Minister. You're, you're satisfied, uh, and you're aware that uh, the trade union is not satisfied, uh, but you're rejecting their concerns or their call for uh, sick pay to be mandatory for meat plant employers. Uh, I'm sure that would add to the cost of running these plants, uh, which obviously is going to be an issue this week when the Beef Task Force uh, meets again. This will be the first time uh, for the task force uh, to meet uh, in a couple of months, isn't it? Yeah, and it's meeting tomorrow. I've called a meeting of it, Michael, because um, we we have two reports which will be presented to the task force um, uh, tomorrow, one by uh, Grant Thornton addressing uh, price transparency, um, and uh, uh, in the food supply chain, and also another one uh, from Chogusk in relation to proposal around uh, the management of the beef grid. So um, the task force has been doing a lot of important work, uh, and I'm very keen to see it actually close out that work and come to a conclusion. Um, transparency in the food supply chain is really important, um, and that's why as well I'm, I'm currently working on bringing forward 
food or a, a food ombudsman office, uh, which actually its key objective will be to try and ensure that there is oversight in terms of margins within the, the, the food supply chain and that we can work to ensure that farmers are getting a fair crack at the whip. And of course, um, that is something which has been, you know, led to significant disruption in the sector and a lack of confidence among farmers, understandably, uh, which led to the, you know, um, uh, we saw we saw the the uh, the results of that in terms of protests at factories um, just about 18 months ago. So it's something I'm really mm-hmm. determined to address. And importantly, in relation to this as well, I think the meeting tomorrow is an important one where these two reports will be presented to the farming organisations uh, and they'll be considered in terms of how we can actually uh, move forward then in, in a, a way that actually respects all members um, and, and particularly primary producers and the role they play, they, they carry out in terms of producing food across the country and ensuring they get a fair crack of the whip in terms of the, the income that they get for that work. Will they be recommending a, a better price for farmers? Well, I, I think what we, you know, the price obviously of that is determined by the market and is something which can't be, you know, no one can control whether the government or anyone else it's determined very much by the market. It's important that that stays the way the, the way that the the, the, the the way that things are. But the the key thing here is that there is transparency, um, so that in terms of the price that we that that is available on the market and particularly international markets where ninety percent of our our food produce that we produce domestically goes, that farmers can clearly see that they are getting a fair crack of the whip in terms of the price they're getting for mm. their food or, and, or, or uh, not. And if uh, they decide uh, that not. Uh, and if they decide that they're not. Uh, what will be the process uh, for putting that right? Well, I think the first thing we need to have is actually transparency so that mm. we can see what the price is in the market. Yeah, so, so that transparency, you hope, will come about as a result of these so, reports tomorrow. Yes, well, mm. well the, the report being presented tomorrow to the task force uh, by Grant Thornton has been looking into this. And then also the specific measure which, which I'm determined to introduce is a food, a food ombudsman office which actually will oversee this on an ongoing basis and ensure that there's a light shown right across the, the, the various uh, levels of the food supply chain, particularly to ensure that we can have line of sight in terms of what's available in the international markets and ensuring that farmers are getting a fair crack of the whip in terms of the price that they're getting uh, proportionate to what's available in the market. Okay, well, I'm sure there'll be disagreement. I think uh, Beef Plan Movement already expressed its concerns about how Grant Thornton was going about uh, this work uh, and where it all pans out, I'm sure, will take some time. That process uh, begins uh, tomorrow, as you say, Minister. Uh, It's uh, been a bad week for horse racing and uh, the Oireachtas Committee on Agriculture would like you to come before it now to talk uh, about animal welfare following uh, some of uh, the shocking things uh, that we've been watching in the last couple of weeks. And uh, in line with the concerns about welfare, uh, the amount of money that the state provides uh, to horse racing Ireland. Yeah, well, I haven't any requests from the Oireachtas Committee to come before it in, on, on this matter, but certainly I'm before it on a very, very regular basis and very happy to meet with them on, on any issue. And animal welfare, obviously, is something which is really, really important uh, across all sectors of, the agricu- of agriculture. And we've seen you know, uh, the situation in the, in the last uh, couple of weeks, a uh, very concerning incident in relation to the trainer Gordon Elliott, which, uh, you know, we, we've, which has been dealt with by the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory mm. Board over the last few days in terms of the suspension of him um, for, for uh, what we've seen. And of course, that was entirely unacceptable and is certainly no way representative of the standards right across the horse racing sector um, and the tremendous care and love that all of those involved have for their animals. 
Um, and so likewise, you're, you're not concerned that the photographs of uh, Gordon Elliott or Rob James uh, indicate uh, an attitude, a negative attitude towards animal welfare? No, I don't believe so. It certainly has not been my experience. Um, and I think anyone who knows anyone who's in the, the horse racing sector and who's involved with horses will know the care and love that they have um, and uh, for those animals and the attention they pay to their welfare. And it's really important where any there's any uh, uh, a step away or a breach of those standards that there is immediate action taken uh, that, that reflects the seriousness of any breach. Um, and it's, therefore, that's why across the, the Department of Agriculture, there's there's you know very high standards in place, and also um, a monitoring uh, of those standards as well and oversight. Um, and it was important that we did see prompt action by the IHRB to reflect the um, the incident that, that happened. Um, I, th- I think when you, you you see the response in terms of all and uh, within the horse racing sector as well, people were very very disappointed and let down and uh, horrified by the, that particular photograph. Um, and I think certainly um, I would have very strong confidence, um, Michael, that the standards in the sector are very strong and that the care that is provided to, to horses by all of those that work with them is, is of the highest standards as well. And importantly, anywhere where there's a breach of that, um, there will be very severe action taken. And that's what happened in this instance. OK, uh, I suppose uh, people will be looking to you over the course of uh, the next week uh, to uh, see what uh, might be put in place as uh, the next reps type scheme. Yeah, and there's a lot of work going on uh, in that I've just finished a, a consultation with farmers in relation to uh, a pilot um, uh, agri-environmental um, a measure which will be taking place over the next 18 months, um, uh, running up until the end of next year um, for farmers who are not currently in an environmental scheme. But very importantly, in the most recent budget, I did extend the existing schemes um, and uh, the, the glass scheme, for example, which uh, um, uh, almost half of all farmers are currently in. And that will continue now up until the new CAP programme uh, kicks off on in January 2023. But uh, the government has a very clear commitment there that from January 2023, there will be a new flagship environmental scheme, which will be significant and which will reward farmers for and measures that they're taking on their farm. And in terms of uh, uh, the period between now and then, uh, I secured €79 million Euro in the budget uh, for a new um, a results-based environmental scheme for farmers not currently in a scheme and also for a number of other measures um, in the environmental space, which uh, which which will contribute and, and make a difference over that mm. period of time. So, um, importantly, I want to ensure that the scheme that's put in place ultimately is one that's practical for farmers to implement, while also ensuring that it delivers the outcomes we need from an environmental point of view, and also delivers significantly in terms of underpinning farm incomes. So the new pilot scheme, which is going to happen over the next 18 months, uh, will be important in that regard. Uh, and over the next few weeks now, it will be launched based very much as well on the feedback we've received from farmers in the last uh, number of weeks from the consultation. OK, just to conclude, if we can, Minister, uh, Brexit hasn't uh, gone away and we're still facing the prospect of uh, no-deal Brexit. Uh, the European Parliament is uh, to defer ratifying the trade deal. Uh, are you concerned about this? Well, I think there's a very, you know... Uh, very clear commitment and uh, that the, the deal will be fully implemented. Obviously, we've seen issues in recent times in relation to the implementation of the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, which has been challenging, which the, the government are very much working with the European Commission on. Um, but really importantly, um, from, from an agriculture point of view, as from a wider economy, um, the, the Brexit deal provides the best possible basis in which we can maintain trade um, in a tariff-free manner, I'll bet with 
uh, additional red tape, uh, which was unavoidable. Um, and uh, the, the next, uh, the next landmark from that in terms of changes in terms of how we do trade with with Britain will happen on the first of April, where mm. additional additional uh, uh, administration and uh, checks will be in place from the first of April for our exports into the UK. Um, and then likewise from the 1st of July. But I, I think unless, overall... The, unless the whole thing falls apart in the next few days, and of course that is dependent then after that on whether the British keep to their side of the deal. They've proved themselves to be untrustworthy thus far. Are you concerned that we may be doing a deal with a rogue state minister? I think it's been very disappointing to see the approach taken by the British government um, in terms of making a unilateral decision on the extension of the grace period for um, imports into Northern Ireland. I think there was very comprehensive engagement happening between the European Union and the British government in relation to how we could address the issues that, which were emerging there and which were raised there. Um, unilateral action it was very much outside of the um, arrangements of the, uh, the, the trade and cooperation agreement and was totally unacceptable. Um, and we need a recognition from the British government that it's important that we do fully follow through in relation to the implementation of the trade and cooperation agreement and also, I think there is recognition there from, you know, the European Commission and from the Irish government in terms of the importance of the North-South Protocol, uh, the value of it in terms of, uh, of ensuring that Northern Ireland has access to both markets. But it's really important that that's fully respected. And unfortunately, what we saw from the British government in terms of the unilateral move didn't fully respect that. But we need to actually uh, work together now to, actually, to ensure that the protocol works well and also to ensure that uh, the, the trade and cooperation agreement works to the maximum benefit it can, that it can do in terms of ensuring the continuation of trade uh, across Europe with, with Britain, and particularly, importantly, for ourselves, where we have such a high proportion of our trade going to Britain. OK, Minister, we leave there. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Charlie McConnellogue is uh, the Minister for Agriculture. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.